let's not discuss about whether hand washing is more important than keeping distance or ventilation. Let's do it all. He literally said, do it all. So if people ask me, I want to reopen, uh, for example, an office or a school, I want to make sure things are safe, I tell them, do, do it all. Huh? Make sure people wash their hands, try to keep a distance where possible, uh, uh, make sure you ventilate as much as reasonable possible with the existing systems. And, and that's maybe one uh, specific recommendation I can, can, can give. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Clean Air, where we find out more about how clean air can affect the quality process for you and the workplace. This month, as the world changes with the COVID-19 pandemic, new guidelines have been introduced in Europe with regard to building safety. We'll be finding out more about those and how they might change the way that we do things. My name is Dusty Rhodes and joining me is Atze Burstra and Tobias Zimmer. Atze Borstra serves as a board member with RIVA, the Federation of European Heating, Ventilation and Air Conditioning Associations, founded in 1963. His own company, BBA Binnen Milieu in the Netherlands, are a world-leading consultancy firm specialising in the indoor environment and its effects on people. Tobias Zimmer, the Vice President of Global Product Management and International Standards at Camphill, has 17 years experience working in the ventilation industry. He's also an active member in several industry associations such as Eurovent and Evia. Tobias is also deeply involved in the development of international standards in the fields of air filtration and building ventilation, both at ISO global level and SEN on the European level. Atze, if I can start off with you, could you tell me more about RIVA and their role in the European industry? Yes, uh, like you said, I'm uh, one of the board members of uh, RIVA. RIVA is the, the European Federation of Heating, Ventilation and Air Conditioning Associations. So think, uh, for example, in the UK, SIPSI, uh, organizations like SIPSI, and umbrella organizations for organizations like that. We uh, call ourselves the, the, the voice of uh, the European uh, HVAC engineer, consultant, uh, maybe manufacturer. And uh, we, we try to put the subject of uh, healthy, uh, energy efficient, productivity enhancing HVAC systems uh, on, the, on the agenda in Europe. Now, you've recently developed a guideline for building ventilation in regards to COVID-19. Can you tell me how the guidelines came about? Yes. Um, when uh, the, the, the first uh, signals came, especially from Asia, I remember the, uh, the issues with the cruise ship where we had uh, COVID outbreaks. Uh, some of us started to contact each other uh, within uh, RIVA. Uh, for example, uh, Professor Jarek Kunitsky, who has been on the RIVA board for a long time. And we also started uh, quite soon, I'm talking end of February already, beginning of March, we started to reach out to some of our friends in, uh, in Asia, for example, in Hong Kong, who we knew uh, had experiences with the previous SARS uh, epidemic. So already at that time, uh, we started uh, to communicate uh, what's happening. Is this uh, uh, airborne? What can we do on the side of, uh, of, of our systems, uh, heating, ventilation, air cleaning? That's basically how it started. And within a couple of weeks, we got to the point where we had written down, I'm talking about the first version of the RIVA guidance document. We had written down what we thought was good guidance for ex especially existing buildings on how to adjust uh, your uh, heating, ventilation and air conditioning systems. 
Now, we've had many viruses in the past. Why has it taken COVID-19 to get these guidelines together? Yeah, it's, that's, that's a very interesting question because there are other uh, um, diseases. Uh, think, for example, influenza. Of, of, uh, and we know of those diseases that they also at least partly spread uh, through the air. So it does make sense when you discuss, for example, about the ventilation requirements in buildings to not just look at uh, impact on energy or impact on comfort, on smells in buildings, but to also look on how ventilating more or less uh, impacts the uh, spread of infectious diseases uh, inside. And I, I'm also on the SAN committees, and so we talk about this issue a little bit. But of course, since COVID, we are kind of forced with the whole community to, to really think about are we ventilating our buildings the right way and, and should we maybe adjust the, the, the ventilation standards we use? So it's kind of, it, it helps to, to put the subject on the agenda again, even though already in the past we had other uh, diseases that, that, that on paper at least uh, should, should ask for more attention to this uh, subject. So COVID-19 is really kind of just the sheer size of it has given us focus and a reason for getting these things done now and we're able to take what we know and are learning about COVID-19 and with previous viruses and building all of those learnings into these guidelines. Can you tell me what are the key considerations that are made within the guidelines? Yeah, in um, in the last version of the Riva guidance document from uh, November uh, 2020, we, uh, we now describe 15 uh, different actions you can take to make existing buildings better, more healthy, less risky in terms of ventilation and uh, infectious diseases, especially COVID. I'm not going to tell them all, all 15, but uh, important ones are related to uh, dilution, uh, making sure there's enough uh, fresh air coming in individual spaces. So if there is by accident somebody who spreads the virus, then what the other people inhale, the concentration is, is relatively low because you you ventilate a lot, you dilute the air uh, in, 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 the, in the right amount. So some of the uh, advice is related to uh, the amount of fresh air supply. Some of the advice is uh, related to, for example, the use of operable windows, because sometimes if, if you have a meeting room which is designed for a few people and you are there with a lot of people, it makes sense maybe between meetings for five or ten minutes to, to open a window. Yeah. People like us, uh, I have a background in mechanical engineering, they normally only think about mechanical systems, but often the combination of good op uh, facades, uh, operable windows, and good mechanical systems works very well. So we talk about that. We also talk about the use of uh, air filtration. Uh, in some situations, it's, it's difficult to ventilate uh, really a lot. Think, for example, of a meeting room in, in a nursing home where people will, in winter, get a lot of draft problems. So in some situations, you know, People are there sitting together. We have to protect them against each other. And then you additionally can do something with, uh, with filtration. So we have some recommendations about that. And uh, I think those are the main ingredients. Uh, are there any recommendations around the fresh air supply? Like uh, how many changes should we aim to achieve? Yeah, that's a typical question that's easier uh, asked than answered. And this has to do with the fact that uh, it depends very much on the situation. Uh, if you have a situation where there's uh, where everybody's quiet, we know when people are quiet and they sit still and they have a low metabolism, they spread much less aerosols than, for example, when they when they talk a lot. And it's even more when people shout. Uh, think about a sports venue, for example, or when people sing. Think about the church. 
So it's very much dependent upon what people are doing on the size of the room. If you have a relatively uh, large space, uh, it, it takes time before it fills up with, with aerosols, with, with bioaffluence. So it's very difficult to give just one number. Everybody asks about that. Uh, in uh, in terms of, of how much ventilate you should ventilate as a, as a minimum. Having said this, there are European standards that say that in a class A situation, you should ventilate at least a 10 liter per second per person. So that's, that's about uh, 36 cubic meter uh, per hour per person. And I've seen a few uh, academics that uh, had analyzed some outbreaks and where they said, well, the... Uh, you should ventilate at least something like that, this, this 10 liter per second per person. I personally think it, it doesn't hurt if you go a little bit higher. And of course, from an energy point of view, uh, especially in winter on, or maybe middle of summer, you, you want to limit it. But, but to be honest, I've, I've done some calculations myself. There are um, ways you can calculate infection rates through the air. And I found that um, it's... In certain situations, you need way more than than even this ten or twenty liter per second per person. If you if you are there for a really long time together and you shout and sing, etc. So there's not just one number that 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 makes you safe uh, by definition. You say that the guidelines that there are fifteen different recommendations uh, in there. Where could we find the the entire list of guidelines and recommendations? Yeah, if you go to uh, the Riva website, which is uh, riva.eu, uh, you spell this R-E-H-V-A, and then .eu, so riva.eu, and then you'll see right on the starting page, you'll see uh, uh, maybe a button, uh, COVID uh, information, and then you can find uh, not just the, 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 the guideline I just referred to, but also some other background information about uh, COVID and uh, ventilation. Tobias, if I can bring you in on our chat here, air quality is incredibly important. Uh, from your point of view with CAMFIL, what levels of filtration are recommended? Yeah, that's also not that easy to answer. It really depends on <laughs> what kind of uh, situation do we have or what kind of air supply to the room do we actually have, which was also, also mentioned a little bit by Atz already. So if we're talking about outdoor air being supplied to the room, then um, the actual risk of uh, COVID-19 being spread by the air is relatively low. But by getting the air from the outside, you may have high levels of air pollution coming from the outside, depending on your location. That means in all the cases where your air supply is 100% outdoor air um, supplied to the room, standard filtration levels are absolutely sufficient. And standards of um, filtration levels, what in that case mean filter levels according the Eurovent guideline 423, which gives you guidelines on filtration levels depending on your outdoor air quality. So practically, that means for an office building, the supply air should have a filter of at least EPM 150, according ISO 16890. In bigger cities, it would be more a level of EPM 180 for the filtration system. So, for instance, if you have an office building in the center of London, you will definitely need a protection of EPM 180 to be safe long-term in that building. And that you could, for instance, achieve with a two-stage filtration of two EPM 160 filters in a row, which is quite good and industry standard. If, on the other hand, we have a situation where you bring recirculated air, central recirculated air to the room, 
it looks completely different. Because in that case, the air from one of the rooms, so from one office, would be transferred via the central recirculation system to the other rooms in the building. That means the risk of spreading aerosols with a virus in it is significantly higher. So worst case, just one infected person in one single office could spread the aerosols over the whole building. So in those cases, there's higher need for filtration. And uh, the best solution in those cases would actually be having HEPA filters, meaning H13 to H14 filters according EN 8022, in the recirculation system. But just doing that, just adding the filter, is technically not always that easy. A lot of people will have their air infrastructure in place. How possible is it for them to upgrade to get them to the new standard that we now require? Yeah, again, that really depends on, of course, it depends on the system. On the other side, it depends on what kind of um, air supply do you have. So if we're talking about, again, about supply air from the outside, it is normally possible in the utmost applications to bring supply air filters to a decent level. So it can be normally done without any significant increase of the pressure drop. That's normally the critical point in changing a filter. This works, the upgrading, without increasing the pressure drop significantly, simply by choosing a high-quality air filter. Those high-quality air filters should then be Eurovent certified EPM1 filters with a good Eurovent energy rating, just to ensure low pressure drop and low energy consumption over time. And using such a filter doesn't really create more pressure drop to the system than a lower quality filter with a lower filter class. So in those cases, it's relatively easy. It's getting us uh, said it's getting more difficult if you have a central recirculation, because many recirculation air systems are really not designed for the use of HEPA filters, which would be technically seen the best solution in this case to protect against COVID. Because these HEPA filters have a relatively high pressure drop. And that could be too high pressure drop, actually, for the system, resulting in either too little air going into the rooms, which is, of course, also not a good solution, because then you reduce the, uh, the amount of supply air. In addition, many of these systems actually may not, built, may not be built tight enough so that the air might bypass a HEPA filter resulting again in an increased spread of the virus. So here it's technically a little more difficult. So if you have one of those cases where it's difficult to upgrade to HEPA, the best solution would be, first of all, to turn off the recirculation air completely and increase the supply air. If that is not possible to get uh, enough airflow in your building, then you should actually see what is the maximum upgrade your system can take. So if you, then you should at least try to upgrade the recirculation air filter to um, filter according ISO 16890, which would be a minimum efficiency then of EPM 180%. And there are such air filters available on the market that have partly even higher efficiency. So there's, for instance, an EPM 185 filter that still has a very low pressure drop. So it can be used in nearly every existing central recirculation system. Again, to ensure that these filters really hold their promises, so it's really EPM 185 efficiency, 
make sure it's Eurovent certified and make also sure that it comes with a energy class A plus or A, which guarantees a very low pressure drop, not only in the beginning, but over time. So it will really work in your system. That's it. Can I uh, come back to you? Where's your, wh- what's your point of view then on filtration? Well, um, in, in addition to what uh, Tobias uh, said, uh, one thing I think it's very important to point out, and, and Tobias already kind of said it, is that it, it very much depends on the system you have. When, when we, in, in, in March, uh, April, had discussions with colleagues from other continents, North America, Asia, it took us a while to find out, because if, if you talk with somebody from Scandinavia or Germany or the Netherlands, what you, what you standard think about, for example, in an office uh, environment, is that you have a system. It's not an all-air system. You do have ducts. This is just to make sure that ventilation uh, air goes to different spaces. But your temperature is controlled by radiators in winter or maybe climate sealing or decentral cooling units in, in, in summer. Um, and in those cases, it's, it's uh, normally quite easy not to turn on the recirculation uh, um, and so to avoid what, what Tobias described. But then we talked with some of our colleagues from North America and they said, and, and the UK is maybe a little bit in the middle, they said, this is just not possible because we have all air systems. So we just need uh, this, this massive amounts of air to go through the building. Otherwise, we cannot make the right time kind of temperature in winter or in summer. So if you do have an all air system, then you kind of, you, you, you don't have a choice. You still need to keep the, the recirculation on. And, and then, like Tobias said, uh, you have to really look at what kind of filter do we put uh, on the, in the return duct before air is, is, is put back into the, the building. And another remark is when we talked, especially with our colleagues from Asia, they told us, be aware that in some situations, think of big cities in China, maybe also Delhi, and also, of course, here and there in Europe and in uh, North America, the outer air is so polluted that uh, it, it's easy to say that you should uh, keep systems on the maximum setting and that you try to maximize the amount of fresh air coming into the central air handling unit. But then, of course, you bring in much more fine particles from outside. So in those situations, you really have to, to maybe change your uh, outdoor air filters faster or, or put in a better, a better outdoor air filter. So you really have to think about where is my building how is the outdoor air quality there? Is it an all-air system or not? Can I shut off the recirculation? So no easy answers here. So what do you do then if you have done all of these things, as you suggest, and then you just come to the realisation that the system that you have now cannot be upgraded? What are the options? Uh, so what can you do? So in addition to the air filters and supply um, air and central recirculation, there's... Also, the other option or an additional option of using decentralized or even mobile air purifiers in the room. So it's recommendable everywhere where a proper filtration of the air is otherwise difficult. So if you use these mobile air purifiers, it's extremely important that those purifiers are equipped with HEPA filters. So real H13, H14 filters, because there's also some other systems on the market which are more questionable. But having a real HEPA filter, you can be sure that the filters are able to reduce the aerosol concentration in a sufficient way. So being a little be more specific, what's the best situ- uh, solution in, a, in which case? It really depends on the specific case. So what type of recirculation are we actually talking about? As I mentioned already, there's various uh, versions of it. And there's not only central recirculation. So if it's central recirculation, the only option is upgrade your filters or turn it off completely. 
because there is a high risk of spreading um, viruses over the rooms. And then if it doesn't work with the recirculation upgrader filters, then use mobile air purifiers. But there may be other cases where you have room-wise recirculation, so so-called split units, and then it might look totally different. Because the other than the central recirculation, a split unit would only create so-called secondary air. So the air is only recirculated in one single room. But of course, it has a much lower risk of virus spread than a central recirculation for the whole building. So if we're talking, for instance, about a small room or a one-person office, then there's actually no risk because there's one person in the room and the recirculation will only spread his own virus, worst case, to himself. But of course, if the room is getting bigger, if it's an office with several people in it, these split units will actually spread the virus from the one infected person over the whole room to others. So here we see a bigger risk. And these split units normally cannot be upgraded to good filtration. They're really not prepared for it. So in those cases, and where it's not possible to turn off this, um, the split units for temperature reasons, again, the best solution would be the use of one or probably, depending on the room size, multiple room air purifiers to do a res additional recirculation of the room air and decrease the aerosol concentration. Atsi, uh, let me go back to the guidelines because our overriding concern really is people getting back to work in offices and schools and, of course, other fa facilities. Um, what would you say are your three key recommendations just to making sure that people are safe? Yeah, and maybe a, a general remark uh, to answer that question that I would like to make first is that... Um, of course, if you want to, if people go back to the office and we know with this uh, specific virus that we have right now that people might carry the virus without, without having symptoms. So you should always assume that the other, also persons without symptoms, might carry the symptom, especially if, if your infection rate in your region is, uh, is high. If you want to um, try to make the environment, the work environment, as safe as possible, you should look at more than air filtration, ventilation, etc. Let, let me be very clear about that. So we have the standard measures, uh, hand washing, staying home if you have symptoms, keeping distance, etc. So these things are important and ventilation, air cleaning, etc. are important. So you really have to see it as a combination. And the, the Secretary General of the World Health Organization, Gabriel Jesus, I never know how, exactly how to say his name, he said this in a video, uh, I think in September, he said, let's not discuss about whether hand washing is more important than keeping distance or ventilation. Let's do it all. Uh, he literally said, do it all. So if people ask me, I want to reopen, uh, for example, an office or a school, I want to make sure things are safe. I tell them, do, do it all. Uh, make sure people wash their hands. Try to keep a distance where possible. Uh, uh, make sure you ventilate as much as reasonable possible with the existing systems. And, and that's maybe one uh, specific recommendation I can, can, can give to answer your original question. Uh, a lot of existing situations, they, uh, they have quite, quite a high capacity to, to ventilate a lot at the room level, but the settings are such, because of energy reasons, for example, that they don't uh, do, do the maximum that they can do. They maybe are operate only on 30 or 40%. For example, because they have a demand-controlled system that reacts slowly uh, on, on, on CO2 concentration. So it takes maybe an hour before the, the system goes to the maximum setting. 
And that's one of the key recommendations we also give with Reva, that if you have demand control systems, CO2 regulated systems, make sure you you change the set points for this. Try to make it as low as possible, so just a little bit over the outside CO2 concentration. So let's say 450 uh, 500 or something. So as soon as the system detects there's one, there's persons in the room, eh, more than one, because one cannot infect itself, then it should start operating. So that's something you can do easily in existing systems if you do have like energy regulated um, fresh air supply at room level. And this is something it doesn't really cost that much money. It can easily be done. And, and I see a lot of mistakes with that still. Okay, well, there is definitely lots and lots that can be done to make our buildings more safe as people do return when or when they eventually do return back to work. Uh, For now, though, uh, Atsi Bustra and Tobias Zimmer, thank you both very much for joining us. Okay, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. If you would like to find out more about what we've been talking about today, just follow the links in the show notes. You'll find those in the description of this podcast on your phone or whichever device you're listening to us on right now. They include links, contact details and anything else that you might need to get the information you want. Our podcast today was produced by Camphill, a world leader in the development and production of air filters and clean air solutions. You can find out more at camphill.com. Do join us next month when our Let's Talk Clean Air podcast will look at how air quality can affect what we eat and drink and the challenges facing food and beverage production facilities. To get it automatically, just click the subscribe button on your player right now. Until then, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for joining us today and thank you for listening. Take care.